going on at Charleston and Greater Charleston. This is Steve Fletcher, your host of Small Talks, Big Ideas with Steve. That is moi. So happy and fortunate and privileged to be here with you at sort of a weird time. You may be tuning in, 1230 Friday, gearing up for the weekend, looking for your regular programming. I hate to break it to you, but I'm breaking in here at a strange hour. I know you're expecting me Mondays at 1230 every other Monday. If you're not expecting me, don't tell me. I have a very fragile ego. Um, But listen, I'm happy to be here regardless. I hope you are as well. Whether you're driving, midday lunch break, you're at the office kind of sneaking those earbuds in, or you're at home, maybe cooking up some food since it's Eat Drink Local Month and you're sourcing local ingredients getting your recipes on, whatever the case may be, you're tuning in. Maybe it's after the fact. Maybe it's the podcast. You're technologically savvy. I don't know you because I can't see you. That's how radio works. But I know you're out there, I'm told by Nielsen and others who are far smarter than I. In any case, let's get to the main event today. If you listen to the show, you know that this is a program, a product, a project of Low Country Local First. We are a 15-year-old, going on 16-year-old local economic development nonprofit To put it simply, we're in the business of supporting, elevating, amplifying, equipping local independent businesses, business owners at all stages, all ages, with the tools, the networks, the capital, the information they need to succeed. On the flip side, we reach out to everybody who lives here and we explain to them in as simple terms as possible why it's so important from a community perspective and an economic perspective to patronize meaningfully all these local independent businesses. To that end... I've brought in an incredibly uh, skilled, inf- informational, interesting, proficient, poetic, prosaic at times, uh, fashion. The guy's not scared to make a fashion statement. He's a self-proclaimed sneakerhead. He's done a million and one things here in Charleston um, in the local business ecosystem and without. He's an entrepreneur in more ways than one. Uh, we're super lucky and privileged to have him here with us in the OM 96.3 studio. His name is KJ Kearney, and he does a heck of a lot of stuff. I'm going to hand over the mic, so to speak, let him introduce yourself. But suffice it to say, you're going to want to keep 96.3 on your dial for at least the next 45 minutes. We're going to dig into everything that KJ's been up to, whether it's Black Food Fridays, which is his own project that has just ballooned and blossomed and blown up in the last a couple years especially, or whether it's what he's been working on with Charleston Wine and Food or, or Pepsi Diggin. I know he's got something going on with, with Amazon. We don't talk much about Amazon here, but hey, KJ's here. It's his show today. <laughs> We're going to talk about what's going on in his world. So KJ, to that end, let the people know who you are, what you're up to, and then we'll get this ball rolling. Bro, that was three minutes of straight fire. That is the <laughs> best intro I've ever heard in my entire life, bro. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, my name is KJ Kearney. <laughs> As Steve said, I'm a native of North Charleston, South Carolina. I still live in North Charleston. I work for a nonprofit as a community organizer for an organization called the Charleston Promise Neighborhood. Um, we service elementary school, Title I elementary schools in the neck area. Um, and outside of that, like you said, I, I do a, a little thing called Black Food Fridays that I started two years ago. That is now a James Beard nominated social media account. Bro. Incredible. That Incredible. Is no, that's huge. And we're going to talk about that. But congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I'm a product of Charleston County School Districts. Um, all the public school, not all of them, but public schools here. 
Um, and then I went on to the illustrious South Carolina State University, home of the Mighty Bulldogs and the Marching World One, just like Raquel. That's right. Yeah. Raquel yeah. Padgett, who works on the Low Country Local First team, is a yeah. fellow alum. Yeah. And of- speaking of alum, I just graduated from Low Country Local First's uh, Good Enterprise. Well, is it? It's the Community Business Academy. There we go. Community Business Academy. Let's start there. Let's yeah. jump into the CBA, which is something that I'm really excited about. It's something we've been doing now for two years. Raquel Paget, who KJ just mentioned, and I actually have our three-year work anniversary at LLF today. Hey. So we're celebrating that. Uh, it's a great team to be a part of. We love the work that we do. And some of the work we do is what KJ just referred to, which is our Community Business Academy, which is one leg of the three-legged stool that is our Good Enterprises program. Again, it's a two-year old program um, where we have uh, focused on nascent stage usually early stage although it's not uh, it's not exclusively so businesses that sort of need a crash course in entrepreneurial skill building that leads to a number of other phases one of which is the business acceleration services but I first want to dial into your personal experience KJ with the CBA 12-week program let folks know what was it like being in that program was it was it helpful did it open your eyes to some things were there some things you already knew i mean what did it feel like being a part of that entrepreneurial skill building program yeah uh just to answer your question about how it felt <laughs> it was at times invigorating and at times annoying sure right 12 weeks doesn't sound like a long time until you're on week 7 and then you're like oh my god we still got to come to class smack dab in the middle of it i i quit graduate school three times because I was tired of going to class. And then what did I do? Go be a part of the CBA. But me and my brother did it together uh, because he had an idea for a restaurant concept. And I told him, if you do the class, I'll do it with you and and we can support each other. And I want to tell everybody this, that uh, the best part about being in this class was that it gave us a very real dose of what to expect um, you know, we've run creative businesses before, but like a brick and mortar is a whole different ball of wax. And I would say five weeks in, we were like, oh, yeah, our, our deal sucks. Like, we'll never make money that way. Uh, and so we had to flip it. Right. Yeah. But I think, again, that's the benefit of being in this class that we didn't hmm. invest a lot of time and money um, trying to get something off the ground when just doing a little bit of homework, so to speak. Yeah. We were able to realize we should probably go in a different direction. It's fascinating. So it sort of helps you vet an idea. Mm-hmm. What was the first restaurant idea specifically? Grits. And how did it permutate? Yeah, grits. I mean, it's okay. uh, there as as much as the South loves grits. There are not a lot of grits focused restaurants. They for whatever reason, um, and we thought, well, you know, grits are dirt cheap to make and whatever, whatever. But like when you start putting all the moving parts mm-hmm. around, it was just like. Nah, not for our first <laughs> right. retail right. restaurant. First location. Yeah, yeah, like that's not what we should be doing. And so presumably s- you're adding in other ingredients like grits kind of at, at, at first glance seems like, you know, something that you can work with and mm-hmm. is relatively inexpensive to source. But I'd imagine you know, kind of what sounds like what you're alluding to is like, well, that's sort of the canvas. But then we're, we almost probably ran into situations where you're like, well, we're sort of just now we have to like dip our foot into just being an actual restaurant because right. the grits are sitting underneath or they're folded into or they're woven throughout. But we've got truffle oil. We've got peppers. We've got chicken. We've right. got, you know, whatever else. It's all the accoutrement. Right. right? And, and the wait a minute, who's going to watch the pot for six hours or eight hours while we're open? Right. And just 
constantly stirring because the way my brother makes his grits is a very specific way that mm. requires a lot of attention. Okay. Um, it's not like an instant grit situation. If you've seen my cousin Vinny, it's not those grits. Right. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's the grits that are taking a minute, right? You're, exactly. It's a labor of love and time right. and tradition. And what COVID has taken away from people, even though I think it should have added to this, is patience mm. because now we're used to just ordering and getting it immediately. And the concept that he had was this is a slow down, take your time situation. Like we're not necessarily trying to service 15,000 people in a day, right? Like we want the 100, 200 people who come to like enjoy themselves and yep. slow down because these are slow handmade grits. No, bro. Like it just from a business standpoint, yeah. numbers wise, it just didn't make sense at the time. So well, I love where your where your hearts and minds were at, and I love the sort of ethos behind it. It's if it didn't work now, maybe it'll work some sometime down the road. Right. What did it turn into, and what what are you, um, what idea are you tackling now that you feel like is a, a little bit more surmountable? Very good question. Uh, tea, cool. Yeah, I'm a huge loose leaf tea fan. Really. And I think it's one of the habits I picked up during COVID. Cool. It's loose leaf tea. You talk about patience. I right, mean. exactly. But the ritual of making the tea, of you know, opening the container, smelling the leaves. I'm right? there with you. Yeah. I'm like, right there I'm with, with you. that. And so. Um, this microphone smells a little like chamomile. Hey, there you go. Mine does not. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, so like we kind of, I kind of fell in love with that process. Yeah. And then, you know, because I'm a nerd, um, for those of you who are listening, Black Food Fridays, uh, outside of food culture, we do a lot of food history. Mm. And so when I dug into the history of tea, I mean, it's a very – black tea is a black thing, right? Like mm. Kenya, the country of Kenya, mm -hmm. produces more black tea than any country mm. in the world. Really? Yeah. Um, and then your other two champions are the same countries you were probably thinking of, India and China, mm -hmm. right? And so, like, right after that is Kenya. And then I start doing more research. I'm like, yo, there's, like, a heavy tea history throughout the diaspora. And so, you know, I, I fell in love with the ritual, the taste. I don't even add sweetener anymore. Mm, like, I, I don't add honey or anything. Straight I want to taste the leaves. Taste those leaves. Um, but anyway, so we did that research. And once the grits thing was out the way, we were like, oh, this tea shop will allow us to, again, live up to the slowdown mantra that mm -hmm. we want to produce whatever we're putting in the world together. We want to do it where we, we encourage people to chill out. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it was like, Oh, there's no like tea. There's no like tea Ford Starbucks or, or let's be local orange spot, right? Yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. like tea focus second state coffee shop. Yeah. So we were like, Oh, we could, maybe we could do that. Yeah. And we did the numbers and we're still playing with the numbers. But just the outset looks more promising than the other one. I was in New Hope, Pennsylvania for a wedding not long ago. And you talk about tea forward establishments. They had one. It wasn't many. It was one. But w I walked in there with my wife. Uh, it was called Magic Kava. K-A-V-A. Kava, as you probably know better than I, is like some tight. It's like a tea derivative or it's based on leaves. But either through the process of curing it or through the selection of the tea leaf itself, it... 
offers some sort of like additional tranquilizing effect. It's not quite as um, intense as kratom, which is natural but has sort of psychoactive effects, and right. you can drink it as a tea or add it to tea. But somewhere in between kratom and just regular loose leaf tea, like black tea or herbal teas. In any case, we had sort of a mixture of different teas that was that was expertly curated from this like tea master who was behind the table telling us about the sort of like nootropic and adaptogenic effects of each leaf and right. the kind of the history of the leaves and why they work well together and why this particular blend does this and this particular blend like unblocks your chi and it's based on kind of this you know very like deep um interesting you know chinese uh ritualistic history so we fell in love with it so all yeah. that's to say man I, I mean you're 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 on the right track the day that your tea house opens if it does open and i'm praying for it after hearing uh you know your love for it and and, and it sounds like it's coming along i'll be the first one waiting in line to get in there i appreciate that and i just want to say before we move on we are not going to be that like okay. that is okay. a level of knowledge that uh, <laughs> i don't even aspire to you know what i mean what we kind of want to do is, um, and I hate to bring other businesses into the conversation, no, but like, we, we, we want to be more Dunkin' Donuts, if mm -hmm. you will, of tea. Okay. Because we, I believe that tea is a gateway into a healthier life. Um, Love it. And to exploring what, what is really out there in the world. And so we don't want to come off as pretentious. Got it. Uh, we don't want to scare anybody away. Tea is very, it's an intimate thing. And it could be very uh, highly and mighty sure. in terms of knowledge, but, but it doesn't have to be. We're not trying to be right. That. This is a salt of the earth answer to the boutique tea house, which Correct. which could feel inaccessible right. to the every person. I love that. I love the idea of making something that is once seemingly through history reserved for only like those elite classes, mm -hmm. something that's more accessible. Right. Right. I when you look it. around, like in Ireland, mm. I didn't realize how much Ireland the country is enthused with tea. Hmm. And so in Ireland, there are fancy, you know, tea yeah. shops, but there are a lot of like mom and pop round the way tea shops, right? Like, and I'm like, yeah, let's do that. Right. Yeah. Just some good, fresh uh, or, or, or well-sourced tea leaves, right? A little bit of milk, maybe, if that's mm -hmm. your thing. If that's your thing. And then the mug. The mug's important. Now, we're getting down the rabbit hole yeah, in tea world. And we'll, I don't we'll, want to do we'll that get, to We'll get out of it, but I, I, I got to just, I got to mention my, my love for mugs. Oh, right. Okay. Listen. Just just do me a favor, and you don't. this doesn't need to be, I don't need to hold your feet to the fire. I don't need any sort of confirmation here. I'm not trying to pressure you. I know there are many people listening in, but if you offer people more than one mug option, if there even is a mug option, I won't be mad about it. Just nice. consider it. I like that. To me, the, the, the mug tea marriage is uh, not something to be overlooked. Uh, I may have some sort of cognitive uh, problem, though, so uh, <laughs> take it with a grain of salt. Listen, teas, you're going to see them hopefully soon. It will be uh, in no small part, hopefully, due to some of the connections that we've helped KJ Hatch and some of the, some of the, uh, the uh, you know, uh, resources that we've connected him to. But this is a man who has been connected into this community for a very, very long time and a man who knows where to find resources and how to become an important one himself through some of the content he's created, some of the entrepreneurial endeavors he's started. I want to dig into some of the stuff you've been working on before CBA. Yeah. Um, would love to start with the one that's coming top of mind for me. I think it's probably top of mind for a lot of folks listening in if they've heard your name before. Mm -hmm. um, the name KJ Kearney has become synonymous with Black Food Fridays. What is Black Food Fridays for the uninitiated? Yeah, uh, Black Food Fridays is 
my answer to Taco Tuesdays. And what I mean by that is, as someone who's worked in education, someone who's worked in politics, um, I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert, but I do understand human psychology a little bit. And when you make things memorable, that's why alliteration works so well for marketing uh, devices. Uh, Taco Tuesday just rolls off the tongue. It's a call to action and a very good device to remember what you're supposed to do. And so at the beginning of COVID, that was a concern of mine. It's like, you know, anytime there's economic downturn, um, minority businesses are usually hit the hardest. Mm -hmm. And so from my desk, I was like, what, what, what can I do? And the February of that year, 2020, I made a, um, a list of black owned restaurants in the hmm. Charleston Metro area on Google maps. Hmm. And it went, vi- it got shared like 8,000 times. And I'm wow. like, I know a lot of people, but I don't know 8,000 individuals. <laughs> right. So and, where'd you put it out? Just to slow down there and take a snapshot yeah. of that moment. So you said you're working at a desk, right? And you, you created a Google map, which anybody can do, yep. right? It's free to create a Google map. You put a bunch of spots on that Google map. Um, and then you shared it at what? On social media? Your own personal like Facebook or Instagram? Yeah, I did primarily on um, Facebook and Twitter. Okay. Facebook, and the Twitter. Twitter thing was interesting because I don't tweet often. I'm not much of a tweeter. So the fact that it took off on Twitter was wild to me. Uh, but then, you know, after February came and went, I did some work for Charleston Wine and Food uh, mm-hmm. that beginning of March. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hosted a tour called the Soul Stroll, where we took people to three different black-owned restaurants and kind of spoke to the owners, mm-hmm. talked about the food, talked about the history, the culture, so forth and so on. And it was a hit. Like, people absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. So when the world shut down, my mind was still fresh on you know, that black food list that I created Got it. and then my experience with Charleston Wine and Food. You created that black food list for the soul stroll or that's something that existed in some form before you put together that stroll? Yeah, well, the stroll and the list were built independent of each okay. other, right? I literally woke up in the middle of the night on February 1st. It was yep. like, oh, this would be dope. Got it. And I made the list. Got it. And then I shared cool. it. And then I called some friends like, am I missing things? And they told me, yeah. And boom. Got it. And that list is populated with uh, locally headquartered, locally owned, black owned restaurants, Correct. cafes, food and beverage uh, businesses. Absolutely. And the list hasn't been updated. Let's be clear. Like Black Food Fridays took off to a point where I haven't even looked at that list <laughs> It's probably out of date, to be honest with you. <laughs> Do you have any plans to sort of uh, keep up with that list or manicure that list in the future? You obviously need a, a team of some sort at this point. You're doing so many different things. You get so many different balls in the air. Right. No, to answer your question, no, <laughs> I don't plan on keeping up with the list. Only because, like you said, yeah. I need a team. Yeah. And I believe in paying people fairly. And I don't have enough money to pay people fairly to just keep up with stuff like that. So we'll move on until the, the income is right. So you talked a little bit about why you think Black Food Fridays took off, the alliteration, the marketing, the promotional component. You're an extremely thoughtful guy. I've heard you at Low Country Local First Good Business Summit talk uh, amidst a panel of, of your peers about sort of the, the impetus of Black Food Fridays, the, the socio-historical context and importance of something like a campaign like Black Food Fridays. Um, would you mind just dialing in a little bit into that? Yeah, uh, this gentleman who was running for solicitor a couple years ago named Ben Pogue, 
we sat down and he was saying that he likes the way I attack um, social or political commentary because I do it in a way that um, his phrasing was, it is, it operates under the level of influence. Hmm. And what he means by that is the way I go about sharing content, by the time you realize that this is a political act and I'm trying to get you politically radicalized, it's too late, right? <laughs> like you're already a fan, right? right? Like right. whether if it's of me or the knowledge that yep. you're getting or a combination thereof, that's how I operate Black Food Fridays. Hmm. I know that I could, I'm well within my right to be as heavy handed and white people suck and white supremacy sucks and mm -hmm. oppression is real and da 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 da. And there is a time and place for that. But I also know as a former athlete, again, someone who ran in politics, mm -hmm. someone who worked in politics, someone who worked with children every day, you get more out of people with love, mm -hmm. right? You attract more flies with honey. Hmm. Um, and so that's the approach that I take is that I want this to be a fun experience. I want you to come on the page and learn something you didn't know, uh, whether it be a cultural thing you didn't know, mm -hmm. like, oh, I didn't know black people like stuff like that. Right. Or a black person who's making a sauce or has a restaurant or a historical fact. Right. Mm -hmm. I want you to come and learn so much that by the time you realize like, oh, this guy's trying to get me to spend my money in right. a particular way mm -hmm. on a particular day, which is the very definition of politics. Mm -hmm. It's too late, bro. Like you're, you're with the team. Love it. Very covert um, and very Trojan horse of you. Uh, and I think an incredibly powerful way to bring a message to as expansive a group of people as possible. Right. Mm -hmm. Some of whom maybe, maybe don't know they even need the message or, 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 or aren't sure they agree with it. If it were to be given an, in, in different terms. Right. So uh, I think it's an incredibly strategic approach and what you're doing just as someone standing on the sidelines, also engaging at times, but certainly kind of watching this campaign blossom. Um, what you're doing is incredibly effective. So you've got the proof of concept there and my hat is off to you for, Thank for you. coming up with something like that. It sounds like you, you bottled lightning, but you held on to that and really have turned it into something sustainable and meaningful and hopefully very lasting. Something very important for the community. So, Tell people how they can engage with this. Black Food Fridays, it's a term, right? Uh, someone hears it. Maybe they've decided they're driving in their car. I thought I heard that before, but now I'm hearing this KJ guy. He's talking about Black Food Fridays. He's talking about why it's important. Um, but, like, how do I engage with this more than just sharing the term with my friends and family? Like, I want to learn about how I can be a more intentional steward of a diver more diverse array of my food and beverage businesses in town here in the low country and beyond. Yeah. Like, how do I do it? What's the next step for these folks? Yeah, I don't want to complicate this thing and I don't want to come off as being like you know, glib, but like, just do it, right? Even just sharing the phrase, that's still helpful yeah. because it's a phrase that while it's gaining popularity, on the nationwide level, mm. um, it's not ubiquitous yet, mm. right? And so just by sharing the phrase, you might embed it in someone's head. Like you said, they mm. might see it later on and be like, oh, I've heard that before. Yep. So that's powerful. I don't want to take that away from everyone. In, in politics, they call it a ladder of engagement, right? Mm -hmm. And so you need to be able to reach the people who are lazy and don't want to do anything. And you need to be able to reach the people who want to be super volunteers. So for the bottom rung, Please just mm. share the phrase. And if you're like, well, what do I need to share? Mm -hmm. Simply, we want you to support black owned food and beverage makers 
every Friday. Mm -hmm. The end. Whether you actually do it or not, as long as you know the phrase and you're sharing the phrase, that is helpful. Love it. Step up. Go buy some food, bro. Right? <laughs> or or go to Target and buy some lemonade or, right, or right. whatever, ice cream. Right. Like, you're right. And then step up from there is getting your friends and family together and say, hey, one Friday a month, we're going to collectively go to a restaurant around our way that is black owned and we're going to intentionally eat there and spend our money there. Love that. Catering. It, it goes up and yep. up and up. But Farmers and fishers exactly. and like we can, go, we can go very far. But yes, low, low barrier. Just tell people about mm-hmm. it. I love that sort of low hanging fruit approach as a sort of a wedge into a larger conversation. And, and I agree with you. I think there's um, there's power in ubiquity. And so just getting that, that phrase out there and making it as simple and as crystallized uh, as possible, it, it, it's proven to be incredibly uh, powerful and effective again. Um, not to make things sterile uh, or to be a cynic, but sometimes that's just my way, folks. Uh, I can't help it. And given that this is sort of a, a show with an entrepreneurial or business framework, I know there are folks out there listening in, so I'm going to ask the question for some of them. Um, and as an artist, again, my, 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 myself, it pains me to sort of sound this cynical when it comes to uh, this question, but you've started a campaign, right? It's, a, it's effective. You have sort of like your metrics or your desired outcomes are, are generally of a socio-cultural nature. You want to change the world for the better. And you've come up with this really effective way, this artistic, poetic way to do it. And there's real community engagement. We can see it. It's blossoming. It's spreading like wildfire to other cities. Do you have any desire, and you very well may not, um, but I'm just curious to ask, do you have any uh, intention to trademark this phrase or franchise this movement? Or does that just feel does that just feel totally out of line with the purpose and soul of what you're trying to do? Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Uh, I guess one thing I need to tell everybody is while I am very creative, I went to school for business management. So trademarking and stuff, patents and all that, I'm not against. Hmm. Um, I have a friend who works for the patent office and my friend in the patent office or trademarking office, I guess it's the same office, man, but my friend was like, mm, I don't know if this is trademarkable, hmm. right? And this is coming from a guy who works there. Interesting. He doesn't know because it's like uh, Taco Tuesdays is yep. sort of like a common language thing. Got it. Right? Um, so if it was available, if the option was available to me, of course I would. Got it. Uh, I would totally trademark it. But am I upset that it can't be? No. Like, And even if it is trademarked, that doesn't stop people from saying Super Bowl. Right. Like <laughs> right, right. you just can't put it on T-shirts right. and stuff, but like people still say it. So mm, I'm not really that part's not really worrying me. Got it. Got it. Interesting. Um, Black Food Fridays is, is all about food. It's Eat Drink Local Month. That is one of Low Country Local First's most food centric and food focused campaigns and events of the year. Um, so I do want to make sure that we're talking about everything food related what got you into food so black food fridays obviously is at the intersection of your desire to make the world a better place your interest and skill set in politics in community building in connecting with people on their terms um a little sprinkle of your own entrepreneurial spirit is in there but tell me about your connection to food um some people don't know this i wrote the proclamation for red rice day that the city of Charleston adopted in 2018. We got to talk about this. Yeah. Let's get into that. So, um, I, again, 
my mind works in mysterious ways. And so I was very, very much interested after running for office in 2016. What did the, you run for in 2016? I ran for state house. Okay. So state okay. representative, um, district 15, which is now held by my friend, representative J.A. Moore. Um, but I ran for office and that was the, the worst thing I've ever done in my mm. life and also the best mm. in terms of what I learned about myself and about other people. And one of the greatest things I learned about other people is that uh, our minds are very complex. Mm. We can handle computations, but sometimes it's easier for us to categorize things. And so if there's a cause that you are interested in, find the lowest common denominator to rally people around and then use that as your method, right? Mm. So for instance, I was, I noticed that Charleston was growing in spite of the Gullah Geechee culture, in spite of mm. you know, becoming a food city mm. while out, without acknowledging the black people who actually cooked this food mm. and made this food a food city or city of food city, excuse me. And so again, I could have come out and said, the city of Charleston needs to do more and the city of Charleston needs to do that. Instead, I went a different route, which was who can be mad about somebody wanting a proclamation outlining Gullah Geechee or excuse me, the West Africans who were forcibly brought over and then their descendants, the Gullah Geechee uh, culinary contributions to the city. Mm. No one would be mad at that. Mm -hmm. That's a very easy thing. At least it, it was in my mind. Sure. And then when I presented it to my friends who work at the city or who worked at the city at the time, they were like, oh, yeah. The mayor might be with that. And then I talked to the mayor. And he was like, absolutely. You write a proclamation. We'll help you f flesh it out. We'll yeah. see if city council wants to go with it. And Yeah, man. Like it was it was I won't say it was that easy, but it was easier going that route. Yeah. Than just being, you know, trying to admonish people. Right. Right. Kind of going with the current, going with the tide, but making sure you're not giving up that of yourself, which is like which is the the message, right? Correct. I mean, that, that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, and if you read the proclamation, it's very like explicit like Charleston was the epicenter of chattel slavery. Like mm. like in the proclamation itself, you're not mincing words. Not mincing yep. words, but like when you just hear Red Rice Day, mm -hmm. that sounds like a celebration. Yeah, let's yeah. let's buy some red rice. Yeah, let's exactly. serve some red rice. <laughs> let's put some red rice with the other foods we already eat. Let's yeah. think about where we got our red rice. Oh, and now we're reading this thing that's like re-educating us and making us slightly better people who with a slightly better understanding of the world, the ways in which it works well and the ways in which it's worked in a really messed up way. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, I mean, if, if people take nothing else away from this conversation, I know they're going to take away the fact that um, you, KJ, of Black Food Fridays, of the Red Rice Proclamation of 2018, um, of Charleston Promise Neighborhood, have an ability, an innate sort of uh, aptitude for packaging ideas and messages that may not be immediately savory to a wide mass of people, but, but doing it in such a way that by the time they're literally and figuratively chewing on the idea, they uh, they suddenly have found that they've grown like a taste for the food. No pun intended, but also pun intended. Pun very much intended. Yes. <laughs> pun very you know much what intended. it is? It's rooted, to be frank, in the selfishness, mm. right? It's rooted in my 
burning desire to be understood at all times, right? Mm. And so Tell me more about that. What I've well, I'm really good at communicating, right? Like in my 20s, I was a horrible boyfriend, but it wasn't for a lack of communication. I've always known how to get my ideas across, uh, to be an active listener. I wasn't always using my powers for good, mm. but I know how to listen. I know how to communicate. I know how to find commonality. Um, and I just wasn't using it for uh, noble purposes, let's say, in my 20s. Sure. What I learned in my 30s is how to use all of those skills, to your point, to take these complex it, complex issues, especially when I started working in education, right? right? Right, To take these complex issues and be able to make sure that my fourth grade basketball team that I was coaching with my mom mm-hmm. at Sanders Clyde, shout out to the Gators, could understand what we're talking about. So we can talk about pick and roll and mm-hmm. press coverage and all this other stuff. They're in fourth grade. They don't know what any of that means. So it's like, oh, yeah, we can just, for lack of a better term, dumb this down a little bit and still get the message across. What I found when I ran for office is that that is true for grownups as well as Mm. children. Mm. I gave a speech once and I was talking about my platform and how infrastructure was going to be one of the things that I wanted to help bring, you know, positive change to to the low country or or to my district. Mm -hmm. And some guy came up after me and was like, what does building buildings have to do with you running for office? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you talked about infrastructure. And I was like, so you think infrastructure means, oh, structure, mm. like building buildings. And ever since then, I just completely changed how I go about discussing complex issues with people. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you're a translator. I mean, you're a strategist and you're a translator, whether it's uh, whether it's sort of breaking down complex issues to kind of a more palatable form for younger children in schools or whether you're doing community building and you're kind of taking words like infrastructure and sort of tweaking them and molding them into something that better represents what you're talking about or whether you're trying to get folks to eat food made by black people and uh, folks who maybe wouldn't think twice about it. You're, you're translating ideas and messages into something that's literally and figuratively at times more palatable for folks. And I, I you know, that that's an overgeneralization, but I, but I see that largely come into focus the more I speak with you and it's, it's important work. And I, I think not everyone can do it. And it does hinge on proficient borderline expert communication skills of which you you've, you have yeah, it requires you to be nosy yeah right, right? talk to me about that I'm, I'm a curious guy myself i mean you sound like a curious person too and yeah. you sound like an inquisitive person and someone who's not um gonna think twice about like digging a little bit more deeply into those files mm-hmm. to figure out what really went down right I the mean, why I, always matters to me yeah it's, it's tell me always, about that yeah well, i was the kid i'm 39 years old so i am old enough to be a child who when if your parents really loved you when you were a kid, they bought you a Britannica encyclopedia, encyclopedia set or something of the yeah. sort, right? And I was the kid who read the entire set from cover to cover, right? That I was the kid that when the commercials came on and there was like for well-qualified buyers and they had all that fine print, like I would go up to the screen and try to read it before the commercial was over. That yeah. I've always yeah. been that kid, yeah. you know? I used to watch I, infomercials. I, yeah. I still infomercials watch infomercials, what's up. bro. I love that. Should we start a low country yes. infomercial public access channel? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love I'm oh, getting excited. Awesome. I'm excited I too. absolutely love that idea. Um, 
because even even in infomercials, right? There's yeah. a science to that. Yes. But most people don't understand the science. Yes. A and social science, and it's very formulaic. Thank People are you. like, "Oh, they're just you know shooting the s," but it's really like they are thinking very strategically and and premeditatively. They're thinking about like where we're putting these pieces, when we're going to say this, how we're what cadences we're going to draw out, right. when we're going to tell people the price, when we're not going to tell them the price, right. who we're going to fold in, when right. we're going to be happy, when we're going to be serious. Yeah, it's it's you know what it is. Infomercials are the first internet funnels, mm. right? You have these landing pages that funnel you down to testimonies, which funnel you down to yes. more examples, which funnel you down to, it usually costs $1,000, but then it funnels you down to, <laughs> yeah. but for today, right. if you do this in the next five minutes, right. $10, yeah. right? Like you're like, oh my God, $1,000 for 10 To our loyal audience at 3 a.m. in the morning, right. listening in. You're getting it for 20 easy payments of 19.99. So right. You do a quick finger back of the cocktail napkin math. You're like, that's kind of close to what it was. but Exactly. Right. But yeah, that idea that you were literally welcoming people in and you're building that pipeline and you're cultivating those relationships with people. You're right. Much in the same way the internet has perfected, mm -hmm. but it's the same basic formula. Absolutely. You're inviting people into your house. You're making them feel loved. You're, you're educating them, but maybe not too much. You're telling them a price and then you're backing away from that price. Right. You're sweetening the deal. Right. You're, you're, you're having people call in and talk about why this vacuum sucks stuff up so much better than right. the vacuum they currently have. Um, and you got, you know, 12, 12 year olds, uh, apparently, you know, with their noses to the uh, screen, uh, you know, indulging in every word. Absolutely. Hey, infomercials. That's where it's at. I don't know if they do infomercials anymore. Do you? Uh, well, I haven't UVC. seen a lot of them. No, no, I haven't. <laughs> you don't spend, but, you seem busier than uh, a guy who watches like hours of infomercials a day. Yeah. So well, I'm not I surprised. mean, I do watch hours of things, just not infomercials. <laughs> yeah, what so. are you watching now? Just, I'm curious. Oh man. Uh, Atlanta. On FX is the greatest show I've ever seen. It's the only time in my 39 years of living outside of sports where I've been like, oh, what time is it? Don't bother me. <laughs> this is the only show I've ever done that for. What's it about? Atlanta. Oh, God, that's it's it's you know what it's like it? a two a two sentence abridged KJ's take. OK, Atlanta <laughs> is this is a communications person. Worst nightmare. Why, right? No, I got you. Watch this. Atlanta is Jerry Seinfeld's show, but based in hip hop and centered around uh, black culture. It's a wow. show about nothing, okay. but it's also a show that describes every facet of what it is to be black in such a way that even as a black person, sometimes I'm like, oh, God, I do feel that yeah. way. I didn't even think about that, <laughs> right? Like, it's so great. I love Man, it. I feel like you just... You just verbally packaged that show in a way that it would be tough for any of our listeners to not go out and the Jerry Seinfeld give it a reference. Taste. I know they feel you. You scoop some people up with it. the Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> you scoop me up. You perk my ears up. I'm a big Seinfeld guy myself. But there you go. You just gave everybody the Red Rice Proclamation version of Atlanta. Come on, now. Atlanta. You're listening in. You got to pay your man KJ Donald Glover. Holl at me. Yeah, that's what's up. Um, I'm sure uh, Atlanta will immediately call both of us after this production. <laughs> Speaking of productions, you're listening to 96.3 Ohm. That's W-O-H-M. It's your local community-focused, community-centric radio station. We are headquartered right here in sunny South Carolina, Meeting Street, Charleston, to be exact. If you can hear the uh, fire trucks going by, you can hear construction happening. Hey, you're, you're sitting right here with us. Maybe you're streaming from Alaska, but it still feels like you're right here in the low country, baby. 
thanks for tuning in. We're going to continue this conversation a little bit longer, but I'm getting so excited. I don't even know what time it is. It may be, it may be Sunday already. I may be missing the chef's potluck, which is low country, local first biggest event of the year, four to 7 PM Sunday. We're talking to KJ about food and about black food and about red rice And I want to talk to you, the listener, just for a second about food. If you're interested in patronizing and tasting food samples from local chefs, farmers, fishers, purveyors, uh, some of whom are people of color, like our CBA students, Burton Tees, Carolina Cookery. You probably know Shonda from Carolina Cookery. She's Charleston Wine and Food as well. Shonda, yeah. Shonda, yeah. Mm Or Mini Blessings. That's another uh, black-owned business. They do sweets and treats, just like Burton Tees. Carolina Cookery is more savory. In any case, listen. There's like 20 chefs at this thing. There's like 18 or 20 farmers, fishers, purveyors. They're all walking around with shirts that say, I'm your farmer, I'm your fisher, I'm your chef. You can talk to these folks. You can hatch real live face-to-face relationships with them. You can talk about the sorts of ingredients that they source. We at LLF have helped them make it as easy as possible to source their ingredients locally. Again, pick up your tickets. It's lowcountrylocalfirst.org. It's for the chef's potluck this Sunday from 4 to 7 p.m. at Firefly Distillery on Spruill Ave in North Charleston. It is the capstone event of our 16, 15-year-old campaign, Eat, Drink, Local Month, all about informing the public why it's important to eat and to drink local foods and beverages. It's important because it reinvests money into your neighbor's pockets. It uh, enables some of the most effective job creators here locally to create more jobs for people. It patronizes farmers and fishers who are oft overlooked in this world. We are, we are increasingly um, putting money into the pockets of these like uh, megalomaniac behemoth corporate faceless farms that are on you know 5 million acres out in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing wrong with those farms, but why spend all of the carbon footprint energy in sourcing your food from a million miles away when you've got delicious strawberries and okra right in your backyard? Check out Hickory Bluff Farms. They make berries. Did you know about them they're 40 minutes away there's tons of more farms to learn about fishers to learn about chefs to shake hands with at chef spotlock all right that's the end of my spiel hopefully you haven't tuned out yet that was like five minutes long it was probably less fire as kj put it than my intro um but uh luckily i don't think i extinguished all of your flames dear listener we're coming back 90 degrees i'm swinging the chair talking to kj again he is the man behind black food fridays he's the man behind the red rice proclamation of 2018 he's running politics he's like he's talking to me about his own socio-political uh theories right now i mean this man's gonna write a book I'm sure at some point in the near future, he's not even out of his 30s yet. I want to talk to you, KJ, a little bit more about your connection to your anchoring in, presumably, the low country. What, you know, you're a connective tissue here in the community, but what's your personal history with Charleston? Yeah, my personal history is that um, I am a Binya which is becoming increasingly rare. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, uh, the Gullah Geechee people, we only classify people in two ways. Either you're a Binya, which means you've been here, or you're a Kamya, which means you came here. And so uh, I'm a Binya. My mom is a Binya. My grandma's a Binya. Uh, and my father is from Tennessee. They met in the military and decided to settle back in Charleston. So I've been here for the majority of my life. I was mm. born here at the Old Naval Hospital in North Charleston. All right, right up the road. Yeah, then we left, went to Germany um, for a couple of years. My wow. first language was German, really? apparently. Yes. My mom is other, other the opinion that if I start learning German again, 
that my subconscious is going to kick back in. I don't know if Do that's true. Do we want that? Why not? I mean, <laughs> could you imagine? Th- again, this the is in an episode uncover. of Atlanta. Yeah. So this is why is you it? need to watch the show. I'm, I'm there. This black woman who's speaking German, and everybody's like, what is going on here? Anywho, so from Germany to Washington. Do you still speak German? Absolutely not. Mm. No. Outside of Guten Tag, I, in, in mm. Deutsch, Deutschland. See, I didn't even say that right. Uh, you didn't even answer my question with nine. So right, you exactly, got no German right? left. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and so then we went to Washington. My okay. little brother was born in Washington Tacoma, State. Washington, Washington State. Uh, and then back to Charleston. And then we've been here ever since. Man, okay. Mm-hmm. And tell me about your relationship with Charleston since moving back. Man, that's great. You know, uh, I think that's that might be the most profound question because it's it's deep. A lot, it's a lot to unpack. Yeah, it's deep in a way that you might not understand. Like, I grew up here. And like I said earlier uh, in my intro that I went to public schools here. I didn't realize that being black and being from Charleston was a special thing until I got to college. Mm. Right. Because I didn't know that I had an accent until I got to college. Right. Mm. And I'm really good at going back and forth between the accent. But when you're in when you're in Orangeburg, South Carolina, and like literally one fourth of the school population is from the Charleston metro area. It's just a very comfortable place to be. Hmm. And so I remember I played football in college and I did not get a lot of playing time. But this was my freshman year. And me and a gentleman who is one of my best friends to this day, Rob Brown, who's from Johns Island, we were talking. And some some young ladies walked up behind us and were like, oh, I didn't know people from the island played football. Hmm. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, he's from Johns Island. That makes sense. And they were like, no, 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 no. Like both (laughs) of y'all. And I'm like, I don't. What are you what are you talking about? She was like. Y'all are not from like Trinidad or or Jamaica mm. or something. I'm like, what is she talking about? <laughs> yeah. And that's when I found out about like, oh, like this Gullah Geechee culture that I'm a part of uh. is very close, you know, tied to the Caribbean, sure. tied to West Africa, tied to history. And like, I'm and my mind exploded. Yeah. So I have wow. a love hate relationship with the city and the fact that I'm glad to be who I am and have the lineage that I have. But I'm also very upset that we as a city, as a municipality, as a area do not embrace Gullah Geechee culture the Mm. way like New Orleans does Mm. with Creole culture. Right. Like, sure. They don't hide from that. They don't they don't they don't pretend that it doesn't exist. There's no, to my knowledge, stereotype that if you sound a certain way, then, oh, you're obviously dumb. Or obviously, you know, you're you're not well educated mm-hmm. or whatever. Like this is a stereotype here. Was hmm. my mom never hmm. spoke with the accent. Like she doesn't even she can't she can do it, but not really. Hmm. My grandma didn't allow it. She was just like the stigma of sounding like you're from Charleston is too great and your lives are too precious. I'm not I'm not wow. about to gamble that. Wow. And so yeah. But like, you picked up elements of the accent from your family or from the yeah, people I mean, around I you. I have some cousins, yeah. you know, and, and, and again I went to Shakur Elementary School, yep. Morningside Middle School, right. Stahl High School. Like, yeah, it's all around me. Yeah, though it wasn't at home, it was at school. It was Absolutely. in class. It was after school. Absolutely. And then when I got to college, it just was like stuck it in my veins, mm-hmm. so to speak. And if you're just tuning in, that was a, that's an HBCU. Correct. Where you went to college. Yes. Um, me and Raquel. You and Raquel Padgett. There we go. The great Raquel, our fearless leader of the Good Enterprises Program, which you talked about at the top. Um so you've been in Charleston since graduating from undergrad mm-hmm. for almost a couple of decades, presumably, yeah, right? Yeah. So what 
talk to me about kind of that period of your life navigating through Charleston. You talk about your um, kind of lamentation that Charleston does not engage with some of its uh, culinary history um, in the way that some cities like New Orleans engage with Creole, for example. I mean, how can we do that better? Not that you need to have all the answers, but you're a thoughtful guy whose mind has been in that space for a while. Right. I'm wondering what you think about it. Right. I think the first thing we need to do is, and I say we very loosely, but the first thing that needs to happen is I really wish white people wouldn't feel so guilty about talking about the past. Hmm. It's very difficult for us to move forward if we're not willing to have serious heartfelt conversations about what happened mm -hmm. before, right? I'm not saying you were a slave owner, right? But like we got to at least acknowledge the basics that slavery was a huge reason why Charleston was at one point the richest city in the 13 colonies, right? Mm -hmm. And that money didn't disappear. Right. That money's still here. It's just in pockets, right? And so the way our school district is set up, mm -hmm. right? Like there's so many vestiges of slavery and segregation mm -hmm. and, and Jim Crow that are still around that we are just unwilling to talk about. Yep, yep. And I think like that step one is just being a city, a region that's like, we're going to tackle this head on. Like mm. a couple years ago, it was presented that Charleston County School District treat Gullah Geechee as ESOL, which stands mm. for English as a second language. So kids whose lineage is this place, mm -hmm. we're going to be pulled out of their class so that they can learn proper English. Uh, what kind of, who does that? Right. Well, who does that? Charleston almost right. did it, right? And so it's like those, those things that seem small to mm -hmm. some people, they're never not ringing in my head. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I have Powerful. bigger plans, obviously, of what we can do. But the small step, I think the most important step, it's not small. The most mm -hmm. important step would be, are we willing to be a city where Steve and KJ can look each other in the eye and say, Steve, this is how it feels being black here in Charleston. Mm -hmm. Steve can say, this is how it feels as a white guy who lives in Charleston, mm -hmm. hearing all this, mm -hmm. right? And then let's, then we can like heal and move on. My good friend Amber Johnson Esquire was the city of Charleston's first ever like race and reconciliation mm -hmm. person yep. on staff. Yep. And her job was very difficult. You know, very difficult. Just within the city and outside of the city, just not a lot of people willing to have the real tough conversations about procurement, right? Mm -hmm. About uh, arrest records about traffic stops yep. about housing and it, 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 other inequalities mm -hmm. like yeah it's just it's a weird place yeah, in schooling that and districting come on now yeah i mean you talk about things like redlining and you talk about things like gerrymandering and you talk about schools that are defunded and it's all interconnected and it's tough to disentangle but it needs to be pulled apart and Absolutely. teased apart and talked about Absolutely. and it's not as powerful and as important as black food fridays is at getting people to buy at black restaurants and as powerful hopefully and hopefully as important as lf is at getting people to think more intentionally about buying from local independent businesses it's an answer. It's not the only answer. Mm -hmm. It's part of a long litany of interconnected problems and answers and mysteries right. and hopes and dreams and fears. And step one, I agree with you. I mean, it's you can't you can't acknowledge that there's that there's this complicated 
you know, ball of wax of issues if you can't like point at it and talk about it and say, hey, this is this is what it is. Let's all at least start from the same place first, right? Absolutely. And have open and honest conversations. Mm-hmm. For KJ and my open and honest conversation, you'll have to log into our Patreon. We'll be recording. No, just kidding. Uh, we're not going <laughs> to. Pay us what we weigh, baby. It's a pay-per-view. No, uh, listen, KJ, I appreciate you you saying all that, being on the show. Folks, we do have about 10 more minutes, a little under 10 more minutes left. Again, if you're just tuning in, you're driving, you're listening in from work, uh, your boss is kind of mouthing the words, it's time now to get off uh, of your uh, daily podcast. Please just give us nine more minutes. We appreciate you being here with us. 96.3 Ohm FM. Listen, Ohm, thank you all for letting us be here. This is so cool that we have this studio that is open up to myself, my organization, LLF, so many other great people, change makers, educators, leaders, visionaries, organizations here in town. It's, uh, it's a privilege, and I feel really fortunate to be in a city. has a lot of problems, but one thing it's doing right is it's got a community radio station where we can bring people in like KJ Kearney to talk about really important campaigns and messaging and community building. So uh, with nine, eight, nine minutes left, KJ, what's on your radar right now that we haven't talked about? We talked a little bit about uh, your current full-time day job and the important James work it Beard does. James Beard Award. James Beard Award. We, we, we got to double gotta click on that. We got to talk about that, Let's bro. Because I didn't real. I knew that the James Beard Award this was- This is huge. Yeah. I knew it was like the Grammy of food. But I didn't realize the effect that it has on some people when you can lead with James Beard nominated. I didn't even win yet, (laughs) right? Like, just nominated. The doors that have opened, the people who are willing to talk shop and do business, it's outstanding. Talk to us a little bit about that. What was it like finding out you were a nominee? Honestly. What's the process like even? Well, so uh, a friend of mine was like, you should nominate yourself. And I was like... No one ever nominates themselves and wins for anything. Like, that doesn't make sense. But they were, like, adamant, like, you should do this. Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, cool. And so I did. I filled out the application and said, this is why this account is important and da-da-da-da-da. I didn't think about it again, right? And then uh, I was in D.C., and the chefs were announced. The finalists, rather, for, like, chef of the year Mm -hmm were announced and I was at a special dinner in DC by one of the, well, featuring one of the chefs that just got nominated that day. Really? Yeah. It was wild. That's cool. It was a wild occurrence, but in my mind, Oh, I didn't hear my name called that day. So I was like, Oh, okay. Well I didn't win. No problem. Yeah. At least I put put my name in the hat, maybe sometime in the future, but maybe one day I've only been doing this for two years. I'm sure there's some other people out here. No worries. At least I'm at a dinner where a chef who did get nominated is here. That's cool. Right? Absolutely. So that was a cool experience. And then uh, it was a Wednesday. I do remember that because we have staff meetings on Wednesdays at Low, uh, at, uh, at Low Country Local First at Charleston Promise Neighborhood. You can do them at LA. Right? <laughs> and uh, I, my phone, this is like an hour before I'm getting ready for the staff meeting. And my phone just keeps bing, 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 bing. I'm a popular guy, but not that popular. <laughs> Not at nine o'clock in the morning, you know, Um, and I look at my phone and I see who's texting me. And that's what made my ears perk up because there are people who I've met. Barack Obama, Elon Musk. Right. Exactly. Right. Clay Williams. And they're like texting me and like, well, if they're texting me, it must be something food related. It has to be right. So then I open my messages and it's like, oh, my God, you just got nominated for a James Beard Award. And I was like, what? 
And so I go on Twitter because apparently they were live tweeting all oh, the broadcast wow. names. So it broadcast me uh, journalism and media, social media, and they're all in the same category. Got it. I didn't know that they were announcing those after the chefs. Well, after the chefs, I wouldn't have thought that either. Yeah, yeah I thought like, oh, I didn't hear my name. Right. So, so I'm like, oh snap, I'm nominated for this thing, and then it, my life has just been wow, nonstop of opportunities wow, and, and people wanting to talk and build, and I'm, I'm appreciative. I really am. And when did you find that out? Uh, it had to be last month. Last month, yeah. And so, when do you month. find out who who wins? June 11th. June 11th. Going to Chicago. Okay. Finding out. Will you, be able, will you be able to get a full night's sleep between now and then? Or is it just going to be like, oh, my God. I you know what, bro? Beard I'm, I'm excited. Like, I don't want to be. I don't want to mince words. I am very excited about this. But I'm more excited about the opportunities that are going to come. Right. I'm less excited about having the trophy in my hand as I am. What having the trophy in my hand will do for people like me right there are kjs in other parts of the country who are very talented and doing their thing and feeling like they're working in obscurity mm -hmm. they may be new to a thing right and like i want people especially kids from here to say like oh snap that dude looks like me yeah and he's got one of those right like right. that's what i'm right. looking forward to or sounds like me to go back to the john's island football yeah exactly field. Uh, kind of uh, you know education epiphanous moment you had at, at the college you went to um, that, that's powerful man and I, I never would have taken you for a guy who is a, is a trophy in your hand sort of guy anyway frankly no you're, no you're let's be the... honest I'm a trophy in the hand kind of guy <laughs> I want all the trophies we have a limited time on this earth Steve but I understand that trophies don't make me a better person right, right? right. so it's not like the trophy validates me right I'm dope because I'm dope, right. whether I win or not. Right. But while I'm here on Earth, I'd love to win a Grammy and an Oscar and whatever else is out there. Like, why not? Like, why not win it all if you can? I'm I'm competitive, but not to like to defeat Steve. Like, mm -hmm. I want the shiny thing. If I don't get the shiny thing, I'm not going to be like, I hate Steve. But I'm not going to lie. I want the shiny thing. So for the record, I'm I'm. Uh, let me paint a picture uh, as to how secure I am in my abilities. Uh, there is one point in time I can point to in my memory, in my mind's eye, where there was a shelf of very shiny Pinewood Derby statues. Oh. Or says trophies, rather. Okay. Pinewood Derby for the uninitiated. Uh, and these were given to everyone who was involved. So I buy, I, in fact, I think my the Pinewood Derby car I, I created, and by saying I created, it was really like my brother, I think, who whittled <laughs> it away. And by whittled it away, I think he like um, put he spray painted it with like a couple of quick sprays of black <laughs> spray paint. Anyway, it, it went off the track. So uh, point is, every year you got a Pinewood Derby trophy. I can I can relate to the uh, the lifting of the spirit and the soul that comes. Listen, we're all you know we're human beings. Right. We're, we're imperfect, and we there's a, there's something that gets the blood pumping when folks are acknowledging you, your presence, your soul, your abilities. And a trophy, yeah, it's a you know, it's a symbol at times uh, of conspicuous consumption, but it's also that physical manifestation of that acknowledgement, right? So we're all whether it's a Pinewood Derby trophy, which is basically, if you don't know, as important as a James Beard trophy, <laughs> uh, if you're out there, or it's a James Beard trophy, it's important to get these things right. right? But for a guy like KJ, if you've listened to the conversation. You know that he's, uh, you know, he's into the acknowledgement and he appreciates the, the, 
the symbolism of that. But he also turns around and, and makes something of it, right? So uh, whether it's grits or it's tea or it's uh, community movements or it's campaigns to get people out patronizing um, under-patronized businesses, whether they're local independent or they're black-owned, um, you know, he's making things happen. And he's doing so in a very unique way. And he's using his tact for loquacity. Is that a word? I'm not sure. Loquaciousness Ooh, is, 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 as you, you know, the speaking. Loquacity. I don't know. Look up loquacity. Like yeah, someone check it out. Uh, we don't have a fact checker on the show. It is a community supported radio station. <laughs> but, oh but we may get God. one. Listen, after this uh, episode blows up, we're going to have the funders just pounding down the there doors. We go. Grace, I know it. Um, listen, I'm Steve Fletcher, your host of Small Talks Big Ideas with Steve. This is 96.3 FM here in the greater Charleston area. Appreciate y'all tuning in. I got a few calls to action real quick. One is support Ohm. Log on to their website. Support them any way you can. They are a, uh, a subsidiary of a larger movement called Media Reform SC, which is all about providing a platform for the underheard, the underrepresented, the small folks here in town who've got big ideas of their own, big opinions to share um, in a world where those opinions and those ideas are being dangerously homogenized through the over-corporatization of uh the world essentially um and you know we're only as democratic as we are free and uh, able to share our own personal voices and perspectives and so i encourage you to log on to ohm's website patronize them donate to them fund them they're an important cause in our community and if i may one last shameless plug for chef's potluck we're talking about food here with kj kearney I hope he may be at Chef's Pollock. Is that right, KJ? You got to come out? All right, come on yeah, out Sunday. Hopefully the weather's nice. If you're there, it's going to be a good time. If you're listening in, check us out. 4 to 7 p.m., Chef's Pollock, local chefs, local farmers, local purveyors. Here's how you pick up your tickets if you haven't yet. It's going to be like five or 600 people there. And we're, we're selling – we haven't sold out yet, but we're selling tickets like hotcakes – pun intended that's a food pun baby i'm i'm dropping them left and right today kj's picking them up for me very generous of him um but listen i want you to pick those tickets up lowcountrylocalfirst.org lowcountrylocalfirst.org kj you're gonna close out the show for us and i just want to reiterate one last time to the listeners how lucky and fortunate we are to have kj not just on the show but as a part of our community this man has started some big things in town and he has truly uh, changed Charleston for the better, and he continues to do so. And his visions and his dreams and his hopes, don't want to sound flippant or cheesy, it's the truth, are, 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 are almost too big to be held by this very cool but very small studio here on Meeting Street in downtown Charleston. KJ, sign us off today. Would you mind doing that? My pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for listening to me and Steve. Today is Friday, in case you woke up and did not realize that, which means... You can right now be an active participant in the Black Food Fridays movement. Visit blackfoodfridays.com. More importantly, follow us on Instagram and TikTok and find a Black-owned food or beverage purveyor to support today. Love it. Thank you, folks. We'll see you all soon.